Hello and welcome to the Army Experimentation Podcast. In this series, we explore the modernization of the British Army through experimentation and trials. Recorded monthly on behalf of the Experimentation and Trials Group and presented by me, Major Charlie King, it will inform, discuss and debate the experimentation and trials work ETG is conducting and will follow the progress of the group through their experimentation programme. You can engage with this podcast using hashtag ETGpod via normal social media channels or email us on armyexperimentationpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us for the second episode of the Army Experimentation Podcast. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to episode one and you enjoyed it, so please keep listening. Uh, if you want to engage with the podcast at all, please use hashtag ETGpod on all social media channels um, and email us with any questions you have at uh, armyexperimentationpodcast at gmail.com. So today, um, in this episode... We have come to the Infantry Trials and Development Unit in Warminster uh, to talk about two things. Firstly, the Infantry Trials and Development Unit, ITDU, what they do and why. Um, and then secondly, to talk about the Army Warfighting Experiment, what that is, uh, why we're doing it, and how the Infantry Trials and Development Unit supports the delivery of that. Featuring on today's episode is... Commanding Officer of the Infantry Trials Development Unit, Lieutenant Colonel Arthur Dorr, welcome. Thank you very much, great to be here. Uh, we've got Sam Officer here, who is the Assistant Head of the Land Capability Exploitation Team at Future Capability Group in DNS. Sam, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Major Ben Worley, who is uh, SO2 Surveillance Target and Acquisition at ITDU. Ben, Good. welcome. Good morning. Okay, so we're going to start off with talking about the ITDU, um, so perhaps... Colonel Arthur, could you outline what the purpose of the ITDU is, what, what you do, and uh, you know maybe your mission? Absolutely, yeah. So the Infantry Trials and Development Unit is one of five trials and development units that sits underneath the ETG, the Experimentation and Trials Group. And uh, our role is really to conduct capability investigations, experimentation, trials and evaluation, uh, essentially to support the development and delivery of effective land capabilities. Um, so what does that really mean? It means that we're charged with testing new kit and equipment for the use in dismounted close combat um, situations, so DCC, as opposed to mounted close combat, which is something that the Armoured Trials and Development Unit will focus on. And we do this before de decisions are taken to bring that kit and equipment into service. Uh, so we do conduct a lot of uh, concept capability demonstrations. Uh, which enables us uh, to do that due diligence on the kit and equipment that's coming forward. So before it reaches the hands of the soldier, we can assure it uh, and see if it's fit for purpose. Um, so do you, I, I think, well, I know that you split down into different areas. Are you, um, are you quite set with those areas? So clearly we've got Ben here from SCA, but... Um, yeah, essentially we're broken down into four branches. So we do have a spine, a G4 spine, which helps us out on all the um, G4 activities, but we're split into four areas, which are STA, so surveillance target acquisition. Uh, we have a networks team, which is essential these days with all the robotics and autonomous systems coming in. We then have a soldier systems team, which looks at sort of the kit and equipment that you put onto and from the soldiers. So anything from PCS, so the personal uh, clothing system, to Virtus, to the Bergens that you're wearing. Uh, to the helmets and the ear defence, for example. And then lastly, we have a lethality section, which, of course, at the moment is 
uh, in high demand because of the range of weapons, that are, the new range of weapons that are coming through uh, that we're trialling to then, for example, replace the SA-80, bring in a replacement for the GPMG, uh, and all the novel weapon systems that are coming through. So four different branches, very, very busy, uh, a really great place to work, uh, and very, very privileged to be here. I guess our audience may be slightly confused by the, the title of the podcast being the Army Experimentation Podcast, but actually... You know, the core of the work of the ITDU is trials. Yes. Um, but you also support experimentation using the Experimentation Battalion, for example, and, and other things. I know we're going to talk about the Army Warfighting Experiment, but um, outside of trials, how do you fit into that wider experimentation piece? Well, it's a really good definition um, and distinction between a trial and an experiment. And I'll give you a quick vin, uh, vignette because lots of people get it wrong and confuse what the difference is. And my simple brain leads to the analogy of jazz and orchestra. So jazz, you would play a tune and anyone could come and play and make some mel melody music. Whereas an orchestra is everyone's seated, they read a script, they play their instrument at the right time, at the right moment to create an output. And that output is beautiful and can be amazing, but it's different from a jazz uh, scenario where anyone can come in at any time and create different environments and different music and different situations. So if you use that analogy to a, a trial that we run here at the ITDU, for example, this site system must DRI, detect, recognise and identify an object at a thousand metres. If it does not recognise DRI that object, then it fails the trial. And we do it again. Uh, so if it doesn't meet the recommendations, then it fails. Whereas the experiment could identify something completely different and we could take that forward as a, an additional capability. So it's quite a neat jazz orchestra analogy to signify the difference between uh, a trial and an experiment. A lot of people will recognise the, the CAD mid-cycle. My view is that you know trials and experiments sort of fits uh, around the CAD mid-cycle. So firstly, pre-CAD mid, uh, we can experiment with equipment that could feed into the CAD mid-cycle. Inside the cabinet cycle is trials um, in order to, to complete that procurement process. And then we can experiment afterwards to uh, continue the development, whether that be TTD development and, and other, um, other such outputs you might need. Yeah. Um, does that fit what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, an important distinction to make with the TRL levels, which are technical readiness levels. So historically, let's say DSTL, so Defences, Science and Tech Labs, uh, we'll look at kit and equipment coming through from TRL levels 1 to 3 to 4 potentially. Mm -hmm. Then that capability will be handed off to DNS and other agencies, including ourselves, to then really investigate that capability, see if it's fit for purpose and take it from maybe a, a TRL level 4 to, through to 7, possibly 8. And then the point at which it reaches TRL 9, it is fit to be then fielded safely and uh, assured to the to field army. It sounds like the TDU has had um, some really exciting, interesting equipment come through. You've just mentioned a couple there, but perhaps um, we could talk about the, the future, what's coming in the next next year. Um, certainly a mixture of whether you've got um, some interesting equipment coming through for trial and it, uh, other experiments you might be part of. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, one of the charges for the ITDU is uh, helping uh, deliver the Army Warfighting Experiment, which we're going to come on to now, on behalf of D-Futures, FFD and the Future Capabilities Group in DNS. Uh, but then also we have the creation of the ATU, the Army Trials Unit, 
um, which will basically see the amalgamation of those five trials and development units into one to bring better coherence uh, and better sort of combined arms experimentation is what we're looking at. So that will happen mid of this year in May sometime uh, to then sort of merge the trials and development units so that we're all sort of communicating and work with one voice um, and making efficiencies along the way. We are about to deploy on Project Convergence and I know um, the CBM team um, have been supporting that deployment because we plan to build a experimentation network it's absolutely critical as the backbone to the entire experiment in, um, in America. Um, do you have any uh, sort of exciting kind of hopeful outcomes that are going to come from that? Well, uh, I mean, I don't get that excited, but <laughs> this is one of the things that we've been working very long and hard on. And I can't thank both our CBM, the Command and Battlespace Management Team, who are now net called the Soldier Networks, because it is a network. Uh, and I'd like to just strengthen our, or reinforce our relationship with Soldier Works, who we work hand in glove with, who are co-located with us here in Warminster. Uh, but you're right, in able to facilitate you know, the RAS network, the robotics and autonomous systems, and in able to pass data quickly and efficiently across the battlefield, you need those, those efficient and robust networks, which is what we're going to try and test on Project Convergence C4. Uh, we actually tried it on PC22 last, in 2022. So this really is the continuation of that experimental journey. Uh, and when they come back from PCC4, we'll roll it out again on Project Asheron in the summer and again on the final AWE Urban Integrate uh, series in November of this year. So it really is an experimental journey and I'm sure some of the lessons that we're learning on Project Convergence will be taken forward. And indeed our allies and partners are very interested in what we've uh, been achieving. So yeah, very exciting. Some of those experiments that you mentioned there, um, Acheron, for example, we're, we're going to hopefully cover um, on this podcast, so um, tune into future episodes. Um, but just before we go on to AWE, um, what, what's the most exciting piece of equipment you've seen come through the, the TDU? Um, I think it is the proliferation of drones. You know, they are uh, omnipresent on the battlefield and what we've been seeing through coming through both here in the ITDU and also in the sort of RATDU, so the Royal Artillery Trials and Development Unit, is just the novel way of both enhancing the drone's usage, the range uh, and um, use cases because we do need to make ourselves more lethal, more agile and more expeditionary and drones are just one of those uh, use cases. So very exciting space to be in. Uh, the work that Ben and his team are doing is you know, without a doubt uh, cutting edge and is helping us um, become extremely more lethal and more resilient in the future. Brilliant. I think, well, as an infantry officer, it's, it is exciting to see that equipment and those ideas and concepts being trialled and looked at. Um, you know, and I know, uh, you know, the infantry soldier will be excited to hear of things coming through the future and that we are actually doing stuff to improve those areas. If I could just add on that, so one vignette could be, you know, everyone thinks about loiter munitions and drones and... FPV, so first-person view drones, but there are so many use cases that we've seen here thanks to the Army Warfighting Experiment. For example, the Sparrow drone, which is a sort of novel winch system, which enables us to precision drop packages up to sort of you know, 10 to 15 kilograms of, of, of storage uh, down the urban canyons, so in an urban environment, um, with speed, with you know, tactically 
aware troops. So that was a really novel piece of kit we saw down in Portsmouth on AWE Sustain and Protect. Um, and then also the use of uncrewed ground vehicles, which yeah, are not quite there yet in terms of capability, but we're definitely learning lots of lessons, which without a doubt have, uh, are influencing balance of investment decisions in the future. Um, so yeah, really, really exciting. Okay, thank you for that. We are now going to start talking about the Army Warfighting Experiment. But firstly, we want to say thank you to Sam Officer for coming along from DNS. Um, Sam works at the Future Capabilities Group, so perhaps firstly you could give us an introduction to yourself and um, the Future Capabilities Group, what you do. Yes. That'd be great. Sam Officer, um, I lead on the land experimentation portfolio in Future Capability Group. Um, we're a small delivery team in DNS under Strategic Enablers, and our team have been trying to accelerate capability in the future tech area. So our team have a background in trials and experimentation, um, robotic platoon vehicles and nano UAS. So kind of doing spiral iterative work on the novel tech area, supporting the trials and development units with a lot of their experimentation and trying to generate SQUEP um, that isn't traditionally held in DENS um, and even the army before the advent of the ETG. Mm -hmm. So you guys have got um some expertise in there. Don't you also have the ERCO as well? So within my land portfolio we deliver the Army Warfighting Experiment on behalf of the Futures Directorate, Future Force Development in Army Headquarters. Um, we also have stood up the ERCO, the Expeditionary Robotics Centre of Expertise, which was designed to bring together a community within the field of RAS, Robotics and Autonomous Systems. Who do you take direction from so I presume Army Futures ask you to do or tell you to do work um, but also you must get directed by other parts of defence? Yeah so the majority of our work is on behalf of the Futures Directorate so Future Force Development or more specifically their R&E team research and experimentation so they're they're the sponsor for most of the work that we do. So that's a really helpful insight um, perhaps we could delve into the detail of the Army Warfighting Experiment. So what is it and why are we doing it? Army Warfighting Experiment is a, in simple terms, a, a novel way to bring together industry and field army users. At its original inception, it was a series of experimentation events run by ITDU that tended to have a different capability or theme focus each year. Um, that, the kind of inception of that was um, at the previous Urbex series um, and what, what was happening was different delivery teams were kind of leading on that each year and it experienced the usual churn of military staff. So FFD directed it to be stood up as a, a programme and so that was how the Urban series was conceived which was to give AWE a bit more structure, to give it some continuity in the form of a team of um, commercial staff, project managers, so that we could support Army in that kind of churn of staff and to give a, a capability theme, I suppose, for a, a five-year period. The AW series clearly has a set of themes and how are those decided, how are those developed, Sam? So Future Force Development directed that the focus for this instance of the series to be urban war fighting. 
Um, so way back at the beginning of the programme, um, DSDL conducted a gap analysis essentially that studied all the various reports and um, information that was out there in terms of what the future areas of interest might be. Um, all the CAP sponsors from the various representative teams within Army headquarters were present and really distilled from the tactical functions, distilled specific key areas that we wanted to explore as part of the experimentation. Um, and those were aligned to the tactical functions. So we started off with Urban Understand, which was essentially a networking plugin that de-risked the um, network that we use to facilitate experimentation. And then we led on from there with a different focus area each year. So Sustain and Protect, which was um, focused around the hypothesis areas of sustainment and protection. And then on to Blunt and Dislocate this past year, which was based around fires, manoeuvre and information activities. So a lot more kind of kinetic activity. Um, culminating in Urban Integrate, which we'll come on to later, which was focused around the command and intelligence areas. Colonel, you obviously take part in the, in the AWE. How are the experiments run through the year? So it's an annual event, uh, but it does take a 12-month process. And we're given the hypotheses by Future Force Design in D-Futures. And along with our allies and partners and uh, friends at DNS and Kinetic, uh, we then deliver the actual AWE series. Now, there are three main events during that 12-month process, which is Level A, Level B and Level C. Level A consisting of something akin to a dragon's den where we assess the capabilities that are being put forward. Level B, let's say, uh, those capabilities that get through that process are then given, uh, sort of tested by those SQUEP individuals to see if their kit is good enough uh, to go forward. Uh, and that's done by our SQUEP TDU experts here in the Trials and Development Units. And then the Level C activity is what we witnessed last November on Blunt and Dislocate, is where you have a sort of a four-week uh, experiment on Salisbury Plain, for example, where we have a number of tactical vignettes and the, all the kit and equipment is put through its paces. Uh, and then I'd like to say the really important bit is the exploit event, um, where we both write a report on all of those capabilities, and that is then evidenced and taken forward for future balance of investment decisions, and then an exploit event run on behalf of industry and uh, our partners to then talk about those capabilities. That's really helpful, but before we go into a little bit more detail of the most recent experiment, um, perhaps Sam, you can explain what the kind of role of FCG is in, in, the, in the build up in, in each year as the experiments build through the year. Yeah, absolutely. So as Colonel Arthur kind of alludes to, it's a relatively arduous process. It takes a lot of planning throughout the year, um, which is kind of a lot of effort placed on the TDUs who also have their business as usual and other trials to conduct. So we have a small team who can um, deliver the project management and the commercial side. So the main thing that we kind of lead on is engagement with industry. So not, not yet mentioned, but a, a large part of Army Warfighting Experiment is the ability for industry to be able to engage with um, field army users. And in that sense, it's quite a novel way to engage with industry. Some of these companies might not have had exposure to military users, or they might not have the opportunity normally to be able to get this kind of development feedback. So we go out to industry and we enable that relationship to happen through a fairly light touch commercial framework. As Arthur alludes to then, the work throughout the year planning the experimentation, we rely on contracted partners such as 
DSTL who bring the low TRL tech focus and um, use of the long-term partnering agreement now known as T3E which is kinetic essentially support us with experiment design but also the data capture at the, the end of the year the level C that Cam Arthur alludes to. So let's look a little bit closer at Blunt and Dislocate as the most recent experiment so um, as I understand it that's the work for Blunt and Dislocate started in um, autumn 2022 with the initial Dragon's Den in January 2023, uh, rolling through level A and B experiments through the year onto the main level C experiment in November 2023. What was the focus of the Blunt and Dislocate experiment as part of that urban series? Yeah, I'll take this one. So it's key to sort of state that Blunt and Dislocate was the fourth in the iteration of the Army Warfighting Urban Series. And of course, we have to focus on the urban environment because as we've seen in Ukraine at the moment and elsewhere in the Middle East, we will be fighting in and from the urban environment. And so this iteration, Blunt and Dislocate, really looked at the more kinetic side of things from a uh, fighting per, uh, perspective. Uh, how do we win that first battle and then sort of defend against the second battle as well, which goes... Uh, towards the Project Wavell concept, which we can move on to if you like. What we had was a number of capabilities that were on show uh, that allowed us to both gain decision advantage and tactical awareness and advantage over our adversaries. Um, and yes, it had a much more kinetic feel than previously the Sustain and Protect event in November 2023, uh, which was more about logistics and... Um, uh, damn, it was 2022, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. It's the same attempt was 2022, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's fine. No, no, we can edit, edit that out. Or we can just leave it in. We make mistakes. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, it was in 2022. Okay, so Blunt and Dissicate, November 2023, um, out on Salisbury Plain. Uh, were there any particular highlights um, in terms of technology that you saw uh, or anything that we know that we may sort of look more at in the future? Yeah, well, and I'll take this one because it was definitely more complex than previous Army Warfighting experiments that we'd run, um, both in terms of scale and complexity. Uh, but one of the key takeaways from my perspective is we successfully explored the safe, uh, effective and regulated use of loiter munitions. So, you know, a pretty tortuous process to get there, if I may, may add, but we, we got there and it is definitely providing that evidence for future core acquisition programmes. Uh, and Ben could probably touch more on the loiter munitions side of life. Yeah, so I think, you know, in line with um, what Sam outlined in terms of the process of getting there, it was actually quite quite long and arduous for us. I think we had something like 20 systems that were put forward initially. Uh, we had to then evaluate each one of those to make sure that they were safe, that they did what they were supposed to do. Um, and from that, I think we actually filtered down to about eight or so, I think it was in the end, um, to take forward to the actual blunt and dislocate. And, and that ranged from something you could fit in a pouch, uh, that could carry a grenade and drop it onto an enemy position, all the way up to a a, a very large quadcopter that could fire laser-guided missiles, or, or was designed in the future to fire laser-guided missiles, I'd add. Um, and everything kind of in between. Um, and so we kind of ran that as a separate experiment so that we could do it in a safe environment. We had robotic targets that we had moving around so we could drop stuff on them and simulate attacking them. Uh, we did it in the urban environment, the rural environment, and we even did it down in um, a mock Soviet trench system as well. So we took some of the 
indoor drones and put them through the trench systems and then try to cue those to drop grenades and to targets within the drones within the within the trenches as well so we it was it was quite a a broad experiment that covered a lot of different types of systems a lot across a lot of different scenarios um, but most importantly it helped us disprove a lot of things that we see so you know for every grenade that you see dropped through a hatch of a t72 on youtube in ukraine how many of them miss well we found out that probably quite a lot of them miss because uh, it's not easy it's not an easy thing to do and you can't do it at higher altitudes because the grenade explodes before it gets there so there's a lot of limitations that we learned from that and then there's a few things that we managed to then pull through into a demonstration at the end of the event which was kind of based on the recce strike concept that was discussed I think in the previous episode but the idea being that we want our if we put it in a boxing context we want our jab to be longer than the opponent's jabs we want to be jabbing them at range when they can't hit us um, and we want to be seeing and finding them at, at further ranges as well so we, we spun everything into that recce strike context and we tried to experiment within that, within the environments that I um, outlined earlier. And uh, at the end, we did a demonstration which was the most anticlimactic, un-infantry demonstration you'll ever see, which actually culminated with the infantry breaking through into an urban area to find all the enemy already dead or surrendered and not a shot fired because recce strike and that defeated them at range prior to the infantry closing with the enemy. And that's the way we want to fight in the future. So, um, okay. it was some good progress. Well, that might be really interesting. I'm going to, whilst, whilst you're sort of in flow, Ben, I'm going to talk, ask you a little bit about first-person view because it, it, it feels like this is something that is um, being talked about quite a lot at the moment, certainly in the ETG circles. Um, what, what's the deal? Is that something that we're looking at? Is it something that we're going to take forward? First person view drones. Yeah, so it brings some significant operational advantages. So the accuracy, the ability to, you know, to, to target a specific part of a target, whether it's uh, an object, whether it's a, I don't know, an, an entrance to a, a hardened bunker or whether it's a, a weak point on an armored vehicle. Um, I think that's, that's quite true. It means also that you don't become entirely reliant upon GPS for the location because you can kind of like fly by view um, using reference points but then on the on the downside it is a it is a training competency that requires a lot of time to, to be proficient at um, and so what we're trying to do is understand how much automation and um, operator aid needs to be built into those systems to make it easier and bring that training burden down to something that's more realistic you know we don't need racing drone pilots we, you know, racing drones are made difficult to fly to make it competitive. We don't want it to be competitive, we want it to be easy. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because, you know, people have thought about it uh, a lot, I guess. And um, I know we're, we're actually getting a simulator for our experimentation troops so they can um, start to learn, develop, and understand how that all works. Um, I guess range is probably quite difficult with first person view or not. Uh, no, so within buildings, tunnels, trenches, we we found that different indoor kind of areas it it, it works it, it well in better in others than it does in in some. Uh, but in in the open air, uh, we're conducting a trial this week where we're going to push a a one way attack FPV platform out to ten kilometres, um, and a trial. So. 
that successful. I think that's the, definitely the longest that we've we've done it in the UK. Okay. Can I just pick up on something there? You mentioned simulators, so we did leverage DSTL's VPG, which is the Virtual Proving Ground, which is a simulated battlefield sort of scenario. So we used that for the first time on AW Blunt and Dislocate in November 2023. It worked really well, uh, although it didn't incorporate the Phalanx Platoon concept, which we're trialling with two Royal Yorks, our organic experimentation battalion. Uh, but we will do in the future. But it just signifies and, and shows us that we will be doing more simulated experimentation in the future, not only because it's yeah, more efficient, more effective, but it, you can load up those loiter missions in the virtual environment. You can see how effective they will be against uh, a varying degree of adversaries. Uh, you can use robotics in a simulated environment to test you know, how well we're performing, or indeed how poorly we're performing, because the whole point of doing this experimentation is to... You know, to fail. We want to see what doesn't work and what does work. Um, yeah. yeah, that's think, a really important. Really, sorry, Ben. Go on. Yeah, I was just going to say on the on the um, virtual thing. I think it's really it's really useful to get around some of the safety and regulatory issues that we we face, especially operating in the UK, where you know it's quite a small country, quite congested. Um, but it has to be complementary, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you've still got to put it out in the weather at some point and see how it reacts. You've still got to give it to a tired you know, sad, scared mm. individual or whatever they might be and see, see how they react to it. But um, yeah. it definitely did offer some additional value. Uh, well, I think all, all of you have mentioned uh, um, some constraints and, and challenges that you face over the year. Um, you know, and some people will ask what, uh, what's the exploitation route, you know, if we see something that's really great on, on the warfighting experiment. Uh, how are we taking that forward? Are there are there constraints to doing that, and also have there been constraints to you actually completing what you need to complete? Um, well, I'll just start by saying it's not a procurement trial. So, AWE process is an experiment. It's not a procurement trial, but it does generate all that evidence that we need for future um, sort of investment decisions. Um, Sam and her great team at uh, the FCG uh, can then identify and exploit those. And we've also leveraged something called the DASA Fund as well, and Sam could probably go into that in more detail. Yeah, so a really good example of that is a, uh, an SME, a small, small medium-sized enterprise that was on AWE last year. Um, year before last, Sustain and Protect. Yes. Um, yes. Athena AI's Argonaut, which is a ground sensor, um, really successful on AWE and was really championed by the TDU lead at the time, so much so that he managed to secure funding and a, a route through DASA to get that piece of tech funded more and I think then it's being brought on to Project Convergence as well which just shows a really great bit of tech pull through because as we all know it, it takes far too long to transition tech to the warfighter but as Colonel Arthur says not necessarily what AW is there for but if there is an opportunity to exploit oh. rapidly mm. then and it shows that symbiotic nature of you know, the industry partners working hand in hand with the SQUEP, sort of TDU experts, giving that, you know, free access or low, very low cost access to soldiers who know their stuff. And it's really, really beneficial and pleasing for me to see soldiers getting really good equipment in their hands and saying, this is what I want. You know, getting that kite mark of approval and then taking that forward is invaluable, I would say, for both industry partners, which feeds into the land industrial strategy, etc. So... In that respect, it's really, really rewarding, isn't it? Yeah, I think conversely as well, a lot of the companies just want to know what we want 
and how we yeah. want to operate it. So they want two things really, I suppose. They want to understand what a high level requirement is. So like what kind of stuff do you want it to do? And then they want to give it to the hands of soldiers and then for actual people, the end user, to give them live feedback and say, well, if you changed this and made it this shape, or if you changed that and added this widget, then it could do X, Y, and Z, and that'd be even better. That means they go away, they can develop better, better equipment more rapidly at lower cost, and that means that we're more likely to get what we want in the future out of them as well. Indeed. So, so well, I mean, we, it has been said, sorry to that in, the, it has privileged the primes in the past. So we want to both invite the primes, but also those really innovative uh, small and medium-sized enterprises that are out there with some really novel pieces of kit. So AWA is a really good example of how SMEs can mm. get their foot in the door of defence because it is a very challenging landscape and the barriers to entry are high. So something that we tried to do in FCG is when we set up AWA, we, we had to think about how we could enable SMEs to more easily access the framework and participate on AWA. It's quite a big resource draw, as we talked about. It's kind of a, a year-long process. So even commitment to a couple of level Bs and then attendance at the level C, is, there's a big opportunity cost there for someone who is, you know, might be a one-man band. Um, so we offer a support fund that essentially covers travel and subsistence um, and other small costs just to, just to enable that participation from smaller companies. Exactly. So let's let's just talk about the future. Um, I know I think it was mentioned. Ur uh, urban Integrate um, is the next uh, the next part in the urban series. What does that actually mean for a start? And I can see you two pointing at each other. You take this. What does Urban Integrate mean, um, and what are we looking to see on that experiment? So yeah, so Urban Integrate is the kind of culmination of this past few years specifically focus on urban war fighting so this will be the capstone event that that brings together everything that we've learned so far and um, we've just gone out to industry and we're currently conducting the dragon's den over in Blow Earth as we speak so um, the specific tactical functions that we've put out to industry to address this time around were command and intelligence and a couple of kind of leftover bits of um, hypotheses that we don't feel were were addressed or we didn't have adequate tech for in previous years. Um. Yeah, I'd say Urban Integrate does exactly what it says on the tin. It's the culmination of those years, but it's about integrating those capabilities that have come through previous AWE events and then joining it all up uh, on the battle space, um, on the battlefields, um, probably on Salisbury Plain, critically with our allies and partners as well. So we're going to see more international col collaboration as well. Does that mean the, the technology will be higher TRL or...? Because they've had a chance. In to some instances, yeah. Um, but again, we want to see those low TRL novel bits of equipment that we can pull through. Again, it's a horizon scanning event, it's not a procurement trial. We're looking three to five years down the line, which will then influence balance of investment decisions, decisions in the future. Um, but yeah, very excited about uh, Urban Integrate, which is in November this year. Um, we've just completed the Dragon's Den, as Sam rightly says, some really interesting products that have come through. The next process will be then taking them through to the level B. Um. Colonel, beyond urban integrate, what uh, is in the future for the Army Warfighting Experiment? Uh, well, good question. So AWE will continue to iterate next year. Uh, we're definitely looking to explore emerging technologies and concepts. Uh, so expect to see advancements in AI, uh, artificial intelligence, autonomous systems, and then something called HMI, human-machine integration. 
which will involve you know, data analytics and things like quantum computing. So really interesting areas uh, to focus on, uh, but we are definitely sort of committed to staying at the forefront of military innovation. Okay, so that um, concludes our um, podcast here with ITDU and talking specifically about AWE. Um, I guess a bit of a, a, a sell, hopefully when this episode is released, it, it will be around about the same time as the AW Blunt and Dislocate Exploitation event. And so those people attending will hopefully be able to listen to this as well. Um, but yeah, thank you for being part of the podcast. Really enjoyed having you on, Colonel Arthur, um, giving us a good insight into the, um, the Infantry Trials Development Unit um, and AWE. But We'll be back to talk to you again when the Army Trials Unit stands up, which I believe you're going to be mm-hmm. the commanding officer of. Mm-hmm. Um, an exciting time for you. And Sam, thank you for uh, coming in to talk about um, Future Capabilities Group um, and their part in AWE. That's been really interesting. Um, and, uh, and I think just wanted to highlight how important it is for us to collaborate and work with different parts of defence on these projects and the Experimentation and Trials Group. Um, does reach out and works hard with um, the likes of um, DNS but also uh, DSTL um, and other organisations so uh, that's a really key part to what we do and then finally Ben thank you for joining us to talk uh, One Way Effectors and uh, really good vignettes from um, AWE and it sounds like you've got some really interesting stuff coming up um, what I would say is I look forward to seeing you in the desert because our next episode will be recorded from the bleak Californian desert on Project Convergence uh, where we'll look to deep dive a little bit into the networks um, that we've been developing. Uh, Colonel Arthur mentioned Earth, uh, earlier about how collaboration with SoldierWorks um, is, is developing a new experimentation network. Um, that we'll be testing out in the desert um, alongside a lot of a lot of our, our new equipment. Uh, so we look forward to seeing everyone there. Just a quick shout out to a couple of other podcasts that uh, we we like. Um, firstly, the Centre of Army Leadership podcast. Um, please give them a, a listen. They interview uh, senior leaders and uh, to talk about their leadership journey um, and their offshoot podcast called Human Advantage, where they. They get down into the weeds with some uh, some really interesting stories and vignettes of, of really good uh, leadership examples. Um, so shout out to those guys. Thanks for joining us and we hope you can come and listen to our future episodes. Thank you for joining us on the Army Experimentation Podcast. We will be back next month with more. So please subscribe and join the conversation using the hashtag ETGPod. See you in the future.